Hey ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Molecule to Market. I'm your host, Roman Segal, and today's episode is a little bit of a special episode. Uh, many of you may have seen a, a fantastic uh, piece by Jim Miller on the DCAT Value Chain Insights website uh, covering the kind of mid-year COVID review uh, and CDMO review, sorry, but covering things like vaccine manufacturing, the cell and gene therapy space, uh, M&A activity, just a real kind of uh, rich article about uh, the big trends going on uh, in the sector. And um, following uh, a read or two of that article, I reached out to uh, Jim Miller, who, again, many of you will know, who's uh, in a real uh, industry guru, especially in the CDMO space, who's been in the sector uh, for many years, to ask Jim to come on and talk about some of his insights and just to share his view in terms of what's going on uh, in the sector right now. So, in our conversation today, Jim and I cover, you know, the impact of COVID in terms of vaccine manufacturing uh, on the space. Um, you know, the amount of companies involved in vaccine manufacturing. We also cover uh, 30 plus M&A deals that have been done already this year, uh, new entrants coming onto the market, uh, a backlog of clinical trials, more money in terms of emerging biopharma and uh, you know, that will no doubt impact uh, the contract services space, uh, preparedness for future pandemics, and also kind of mega mergers that we are seeing in the sector. Really, really fantastic uh, short episode that I hope you enjoy. Take care. And if you haven't already, please do me one favor and give us a nice five-star rating on your app player of choice. Thank you and enjoy. Mr. Jim Miller, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ramon. It's great to talk to you again. Well, you, I think, Jim, you might be our first guest that has a an encore <laughs> and back for a setting, a setting, a second sitting. So uh, please take that as a as a huge compliment. <laughs> no, I do. I'm honored, and and uh, you know, I always enjoy talking with you. So I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Jim. And so I think for our listeners, you know, in the introduction, you would have heard me talking about Jim, your you know, fantastic uh, mid-year CDMO review article that you uh, that you wrote and, and is, was uh, published on the DCAT Value Chain Insights website. And I thought it'd be great to get you on the show for a kind of a quick bite-sized uh, episode just to have you talk about uh, some of the the thoughts and kind of key things that you that you cover in the article. Just before we kind of go into questions, Jim, do you mind kind of giving our listener a quick synopsis of some of the topics and things that you you covered in in that article? Sure. Yeah. Well, this is uh, you know I I do an article twice a year for uh, for DCAT Value Chain Insight, uh, just reviewing what's going on in the CDMO industry. So uh, this the June edition of that um, focused on on two items. One was the the participation of CDMOs in uh, manufacturing the vaccine, the COVID vaccines, um, and the second half was was on uh, M and A trends in in the CDMO space. Um, and with respect to to vaccine, we noted that th there's a very broad uh, participation of CDMOs in uh, various aspects of the vaccine uh, supply chain these days. Um, uh, going back a year ago, there were really very few CDMO participants. 
Um, but uh, today there's uh, well over 20, closing in on 30 that we know about publicly. And I'm sure there's some that, that uh, haven't been able or, or, or wish to uh, promote their involvement. But uh, CDMOs are heavily involved in, in uh, making the vaccine uh, substance and uh, making the lipid uh, excipients that, that many of the vaccines are, are uh, formulated with and, um, and then filling the vaccines uh, generally into, uh, into vials. Um, and then even further down the supply chain, uh, packaging and distribution. So um, the, we, we commented on, on just the broad involvement of the industry and the fact that, you know, where early on we, it was the big names um, like Catalan and Lanza um, mm -hmm. uh, that we were hearing most about. Um, today, a lot of uh, CDMOs, particularly European CDMOs that we generally don't think about as being big participants in the um, uh, in the uh, novel drug uh, part of the CDMO market, um, the the NME part of the market, um, have in fact gotten contracts to uh, fulfill part of the uh, the vaccine supply chain. So um, companies like Fariva and, and Resi Farm, Rovi Contract Manufacturing, all you know, reasonably large CDMOs in and of themselves. Uh, but probably not as well known in, in, in the U.S. market and, again, less likely to show up um, when, when you're looking at which CDMOs are getting, uh, you know, the higher value novel drug uh, uh, contracts. But mm -hmm. um, because there's such wide demand um, you know, for, for such high volumes of the vaccine, a lot of those companies have now... Uh, gotten contracts and are very active involvement, uh, involved, excuse me, actively involved in, in helping to fulfill demand for the vaccines. Mm -hmm. and we go on to talk about uh, some implications for that, one of which is the just the massive amount of new uh, investment that's going on in the industry um, to, uh, you know, so there's a lot more capacity coming online in the industry. Um, you know, partly because directly because of the vaccines and partly because some of the companies, the CDMOs are so involved with the vaccine fulfillment that, you know, they've left room in other parts of the market for other competitors. Um, so there's a lot of uh, new investments and new entrants into the industry, number one. And number two, we also um, talk about the implications of all that new capacity um, you know, once uh, the, the vaccine demand uh, uh, kind of plateaus and begins to drop off and what will happen to that capacity. Um, of course, one scenario is that capacity will be uh, absorbed by government programs uh, to maintain vaccine readiness, um, including possibly booster shots for COVID, but also uh, preparedness for future uh, pandemics. Um, so that will probably absorb some of it. Um, but I think it's also possible that, that we may see um, um, some of that capacity more or less dumped onto the market um, mm -hmm. 
the contract manufacturing market and with the potential of, of kind of upsetting the market in terms of pricing and so forth. So, um, you know, that's going to be really interesting, uh, say, realistically, two to three years out, um, how that capacity uh, gets absorbed, the various ways in which the capacity gets absorbed. Um, and, and I think a big part of that is just the fact that it, much of it is very large volume capacity, you know, big, mm-hmm. big uh, high volume, high speed lines. Um, and that's generally not what the industry was investing in prior to COVID. So there'll be some interesting dynamics with that. Um, with respect to M&A, we noted that, uh, I noted that the, the uh, uh, at, that's been uh, a very hot area uh at least 32 deals either announced or closed um, during the year. Um, some of them quite large, um, like uh, the uh, acquisition of Resi Farm by EQT. Resi Farms was a public company uh, with sales close to a billion dollars. Uh, they were taken private by a European uh, private equity firm, EQT. Um, we've seen um, uh, Vectora, uh, another uh, uh, public uh, CDMO that that was acquired um, by a private equity firm, and um, um, you know, then we also it was announced that uh, UDG was being taken private uh, by by another uh, big private equity firm, Clayton Dubois. Dubillier and, and Rice, um, and, and UDG is, is the owner of Sharp Corporation, which is obviously a major contract packager. So you had those deals, you had a number of deals. One of the interesting things I think is you've seen uh, large CDMOs uh, begin to divest some of their their properties. Um, um, you, you had uh, Catalan divest its Blowfield Seal business, um, you you had Lonzo uh, divest its uh, soft gel and uh, liquid filled uh, hard capsule businesses. Those are kind of small. You know, they were relatively small businesses in their portfolios, um, and um, um, as they move to much larger, much more rapidly growing opportunities, particularly in cell and gene therapy. Um, you saw, uh, you've seen them divest those those smaller businesses and and be able to use that cash for uh, some more attractive investments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the biggest deal of all was was uh, Thermo Fisher's acquisition of of uh, PPD that that won't close till late in the year. But um, you know, Thermo Fisher is already uh, an enormous company with that plays and. The CDMO business, um, the contract packaging business, and, and laboratory uh, equipment and, and services and diagnostics—a um, a very uh, aggressive acquirer—and they—they uh, they, was kind of a stunner when they announced they would acquire a clinical research firm, particularly a leading clinical research firm like PPD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the dynamics there are going to be very interesting um, for a variety of reasons. But um, in, in part, I think it, it points to the rivalry between 
the, if you will, the big three, uh, uh, Thermo Fisher, Catalent, and, and uh, Lanza, and, and also as we get more into uh, things like uh, direct-to-patient and decentralized clinical trials and, and the importance of laboratory services, um, you know, the mixture, the, the combination of, of uh, clinical and uh, CMC type services uh, becomes a little more interesting. Well, thanks for giving us that overview. And I think for our listener, if you've not uh, read the article, Jim's just done a terrific job at, uh, at summarizing. And I've got a couple of follow-up questions uh, just on on some of the insights that you've provided, Jim. The first one was a very general one around uh, whether you've seen almost a difference or a change in perception uh, you know, at CDMOs or you know, how CDMOs are viewed you know, historically very transactional, you know, in some respects, but obviously have played a, a fundamental role in, you know, the development, manufacture, packaging and delivery of, of vaccines. And do you think there's a, a fundamental shift in the role of the CDMO, like moving forward, or do you think it'll kind of go back to kind of back to normal? Yeah, you know, to be honest, I'm going to fudge on that one and say <laughs> it, it, uh, that that remains to be seen. Um mm. I, I think, um, listen, I think what, what, what's driven uh, the contracting activity around the vaccine is the need for capacity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that could be very transactional yeah. um, in, in the sense that when, once the vaccine has been widely distributed, demand declines, um, the, the traditional way of doing business could return. But what I think is important um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not willing to say there, there's a fundamental shift across the industry. I would say, though, in, in all honesty, that I think for the biggest participants in the industry, the Catalan, uh, Thermo Fisher, uh, Lanza, um, I think there's a fundamental shift happening. It's probably happening even before the vaccine because they've they've reached a scale. I mean, they're now four to $5 billion a year mm-hmm. in manufacturing and development revenue. I mean, that's the scale of a top 25 pharma company. And they've got such broad and deep capabilities now um, that, you know, I think they're capable of doing things for big pharma companies that CDMOs have not been able to do in the past. So, and, and certainly, um, the the the, uh, the vaccine demand has helped create that scale. There's no question about that, and and built on their leading on their positions and kind of leading edge technologies like M- mRNA and and uh, sophisticated fill finish capabilities. And I think some of those companies are are you know w- will reach a, a fundamentally different place in 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 the industry. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. And, and do you envisage a, a decrease in demand for CDMOs in the next couple of years? I mean, it's quite been quite fascinating, I suppose, speaking to so many people from the contract services space in general over the last year, where you know, very few people, if any, have said we've seen a drop 
in demand, you know, for all the all the reasons that you that you mentioned. And actually, it's been a very busy time, and you know, and, and just obviously with respect to the pandemic, you know, it's been a bit of a boom time for the for the sector just because of the place it, which it's it is in 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 the supply chain. So, do you do you envisage a bit of a drop off? You know post covid and you know obviously there'll be potentially booster shots and in, in preparation for future pandemics but interesting to get your thoughts on whether or not we'll see a bit of a drop or will this just continue the ongoing trend towards outsourcing now i i don't expect a drop off in the near term and or even the medium term going out say two to three years uh for for, for two reasons one one is as much activity as there's been around the vaccines and COVID therapies, you know, there's a lot of development activity that's been delayed simply because uh, uh, pharma companies couldn't get to clinical trial sites um, and, and couldn't initiate or uh, new trials or couldn't recruit patients for ongoing trials. Um, so there's a tremendous backlog of uh, demand for, um, you know, in, in, uh, in clinical trial activity. And, and so you've seen a number of, a number of CDMOs in, um, say in non-injectables areas or say smaller ones that don't participate, haven't really participated in COVID, um, have actually had kind of a slowdown in 2020 because the, the trials got delayed and, and, uh, and so demand for, clinical trial materials and testing and so forth got uh, got delayed. So, you know, as as the uh, as we catch up with with the demand for vaccines and the the pandemic hopefully is beaten back, you'll you know, you're you're already seeing some significant increase in in clinical trial activity and and that will help the uh, the CDMOs you know, in addition, there's just been enormous amounts of money raised um, for emerging biopharma companies to develop new drugs. And so if you look at, you know, indicators of pipeline size, if you look at indicators of, of uh, IPO and secondary offering activity or venture capital, there's just been record amounts of new funding flowing into the industry. And, um, you know, that's going to feed development activity for a number of years, um, uh, certainly two to three years out. Um, and there, there's no reason to believe that activity will decline in the, I'd say in the near to medium term. Yeah, I know that's, that's terrific insight there. And I think for a lot of our listeners in the clinical trial space or in the development space or early phase clinical trials, that's a encouraging kind of insights there. And you mentioned in your article about kind of, uh, I suppose, governments and industry being better prepared for future pandemics. If you know, our, you know, a typical listener might be, you know, this the CEO of a of a CDMO or uh, you know, very senior in such a business. How how do CDMOs go about being, uh, you know, playing a role in being better prepared? You know, because what you don't want is lots of capacity just sitting <laughs> sitting there idly so it's i think it's an interesting uh, conundrum for the sector to have that flexible capacity to be able to pivot towards pandemics but just curious if you've 
you know come across interesting business models or uh, opinions on how to best be prepared uh, you know as a cdmo for for the potential of, of future pandemics well you know i i think that's probably that's not going to be up to the cdmos i think it's going to be up to governments and multinational organizations to underwrite the preparedness and um you know, it's it, what's interesting, of course, is is that, um, you know, we we can go back, de- you know, pick any decade, and you know, a there's there's been a pandemic of some sort, um, you know, whether it was swine flu or avian flu or, or whatever it was, um, they, they've not, you know, been as global as as COVID has been, but but they've always been there. Um, but, um, um, you know, it, it's not like a, a CDMO or even a pharma company is, is necessarily going to, um, kind of sit around with idle capacity waiting for the next one. Um, it's really going to be up to governments to take, uh, to take preparedness seriously and, um, um, you know, to be, to be willing to underwrite reserve capacity, R&D, stockpiling, whatever it is to, uh, to make sure that, that, uh, that the world is, is ready for the next pandemic. So, um, it's really that, and I, I I would encourage, encourage your, uh, listeners if they haven't done so to read uh, Michael Lewis's new book uh, about COVID response, which is uh, called premonition. And, and he really details how the, there was a pandemic plan uh, written during the Bush administration and, and people more or less maintaining it through the Obama administration. And then, you know, all the infrastructure was, was, uh, um, you know, was, was uh, dispersed during the, the Trump administration um, you know, just, just a year or two before COVID hit. So, um, I mean, but there's, there's a long history, I think of, of governments not being willing to underwrite, uh, disaster preparedness, uh, pandemic preparedness, um, you know, memories are short. So, um, <laughs> you know, we'll see how long it lasts. But yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm glad we got your take on that. I think it's really interesting insight. And my last question, because uh, we, we plan to make this bite-sized, Jim, but you and I could probably talk all day, was was around M&A. And obviously, it's kind of a bit of a two-part question. One is, you know, I noted in your article around, uh, you know, the, the biggest contributor to the deals were, were the gene and cell therapy space. So interested in your take on whether you expect that trend to continue uh, in, in terms of that being a, a very hot space. Uh, and the second one, you, you obviously mentioned the Thermo um, PPD acquisition or, or planned acquisition, as well as a few others uh, where there's, you know, Charles River and were involved in a couple of acquisitions as well, where you're kind of seeing almost like mega mergers between CRO and, and CDMO. And so I'm, I'm in, I'm interested to get your thoughts on whether you think those kind of mega mergers across different, slightly different parts of the contract services space will continue. So, so first part about the cell and gene space and the second part about kind of the crossover between uh, CDMOs and, and CROs. 
Yeah. Um, you know, interesting question. I, I think, um, I think in terms of M and A and and uh, cell and gene therapy, you know the the uh, you know there's so there's there's so much new research and development activity and new new product development activity going on in the cell and gene space, you know and and capacity was already short, particularly for viral vectors, um, you know which are critical for delivering the cell and gene therapies, and then the the um, you know the 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 vaccine demand um, you know the the also demands viral vectors and and so there's just a seemingly uh, limitless demand at the moment for uh, for viral vectors and, um, and and a very limited capacity out there uh, to produce them so. Um, yeah, that's going to drive uh, uh, M and A as as well as just the also the desire to fill out your in your portfolio of of, of capabilities there. Um, so and and you know it's uh, after I wrote the article just last week we had the announcement that uh, Danaher was was buying Aldevron, um, you know, which is a major provider of you know viral vectors and and a lot of other and materials around uh, uh, related to cell and gene therapy and vaccines. And it's a, a, we don't know a lot about Aldevron because it was private equity owned, but the price was, was almost two, till, excuse me, $2 billion. So, uh, you know, I'm sure it was an extremely high multiple and, and um, um, they're going to put a lot of money into it uh, to, to, to build it out, which is kind of what the industry needs. So, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think you're going to see. Um, so, so we have that going on, and and I, I just think scale has become tremendously important at at the, uh, if you will, at the cutting edge. You know, at at the uh, the drug substance uh, and particularly biologics and cell and gene therapy. You know, scale just to raise money. Uh, scale to make big capital investments, um, you know, ability to, how do you run a four or five or potentially, you know, ultimately a $10 billion uh, CDMO business. I mean, you know, Thermo Fisher's bigger than that. If you take all the pieces together, um, you know, you need, not only do you need capital, but you need a lot of systems and, 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 uh, to, to, to run a business like that. And, uh, you know, and you worry about, if you will, being the next GE in terms of just being so big and complex that you can't run it anymore. But, but um, you know, so nobody, everybody's going to want to avoid that, but you need scale on the one hand and, and you need the systems and so forth to support scale. So I, I think you're going to, there's a lot of reasons for CDMOs to get bigger and, um, I would expect to see some really blockbuster deals. Um, you know, we've got a number of CDMOs now that yeah, that are around the billion dollars, maybe just under or just uh, over. And I would see them becoming targets or, or maybe maybe even merger partners uh, in the near future. You know, to be able to address that that scale issue. Um, and 
I'm sorry, I forgot the second part of your question. Well, no, it's, I mean, you've given me a perfect kind of, uh, kind of inroad was around that kind of scale and, and the kind of mega mergers that we're seeing, uh, you know, with the likes of uh, PPD being acquired by Thermo, those kind of cross-functional uh, bringing, you know, coming together of giant companies. Do you, do you see more of that happening in the next few years? Yeah, well, you know, what I what I think is going to happen is, um, you know, what, what, one of the things we saw in the um, clinical trial space, you know, starting at least 10 years ago was the growing importance of information technology and software um, um, for, you know, designing clinical trials and, and gathering data from clinical trials. Um, and I think now you're with, with decentralized trials and, and direct to patients, um, you know, the, the, that's coming closer to what's traditionally been the CDMO part of the business, um, because you're getting increasingly into logistics and supply chain. Um, and, um, um, you know, you can really see situations where um, if you, um, you know, if, if, if you have a significant, <clears throat> excuse me, um, uh, clinical trial services capability to, to mesh with your clinical trial design and operations capability, and you have uh, information technology to integrate those two, um, you know, you can do some really powerful things potentially. And, you know, you work in artificial intelligence and, 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 and so forth and, and into that, um, you know, I, you can see some really interesting scenarios play out where, um, you know, that combination, which, you know, was there 10, 15 years ago, um, you know, uh, uh, uh it was not. It was not so unusual for um, um, C, uh, CROs to own a clinical packaging business. You know, back back fifteen years ago, but then for the most part, they divested them, and now you can see them coming back together. Absolutely, and I think that's a great uh, great note to end a very quick episode with Jim Miller. And uh, you know, thank you, Jim, for making the time to to come on so quickly, and uh, for our listeners. I very much encourage you to to read uh, Jim's mid-year CDMO review uh, on you know DCAT Value Chain Insights. We'll we'll put the link in the show notes. But uh, but Jim, thanks for being our uh, <laughs> second time guest for the first time. Uh, we very much appreciate your your insight and expertise. You know, thank you for inviting me, Ramon. It's always great to talk to you. And and uh, perhaps now that things are opening up here in Massachusetts, we can get together for lunch one day. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. Well, I look forward to seeing you soon, Jim. Take care, Roman. Hi again. Thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. You are listening to Molecule to Market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. 
Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.